So hi, I'm Matt. Uh, I'm a compulsive overeater and 100-pounder. Uh, I'm going to hand this page around. This is pictures. Um, my top weights, do we guys do a couple of quick things? We discuss weight. Do we just talk about foods? Okay, great. Um, I will do my best not to swear because I know we're in a temple. Um, sometimes that slips out. Um, and my wife and I wonder why my 13-year-old has such a potty mouth. Um, okay, so... I came into program uh, in 2015 uh, around June, uh, and I just hit the two-year mark. Uh, my top weight was about 285. Oh, I'm sorry, about 286, 287. I am released about 125 pounds. So um, I am. Thank you. I am now at about 160. Uh, I. That's what I weighed when I was in high school playing football. Um, it's not me. It's the program. So uh, I'll give you a few minutes on how it was to begin with. Um, I, I come from a family of addicts. And uh, some, you know, in fact, my father is still deeply, deeply in his diseases. Uh, only within the last couple of weeks have I been able to separate the disease and who that man is that raised me and that I realized, oh, right, I love this guy. Um, we'll get to that miracle in a minute because that's, that's going to be the, the kicker to the whole story that I'm going to tell. Um, half, my, half the family I grew up in liked alcohol. Half of us ate food. I was the food one. Um, always had been. Uh, had eaten a lot as a kid. Uh, you know, and whatever it was, I, I don't have trigger foods. Um, it's all trigger foods for me. All of it. I, I'm not a person, like, I can't say, oh, I started eating candy and I can't stop. I start eating anything, honest to God. Anything it is, I'm going to just abuse. It doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's, I mean, on a certain level, it would be easier, I think, if it was. Now, granted, there's... We all have our, you know, what I think of as like the Hall of Fame, right? Like there's all those, those ones that like, they're the MVPs for everybody. It's stuff like chips and candy. Like especially, I have a sponsee that we talk about. It's the, it's like the finger foods, right? It's the stuff that you eat one little bit at a time. Um, God, that stuff's real sexy. Uh, my abstinence is one plate of food at each meal and a piece of fruit between breakfast and lunch, and a piece of food, fruit between lunch and dinner, and that's it. So, but that's not the way I used to eat. The way I used to eat is I was eating all day, all day, no matter what it was. So I was, as a kid, there was a lot of chaos in my house. Now, my parents have divorced about five years ago, but there was a lot of tension and a lot of, you know, I can't, I hear a lot of people will talk about and share that they come from physically abusive families. My father was emotionally abusive, although I've realized he doesn't really necessarily mean to be. I've been able to forgive him for that. Um, and if I talk about that a lot, it's because I'm seeing him today for the first time in about five years. Uh, and it's the miracle of this program that allowed me to reach out to him on Father's Day and make plans to see him today. Um, but if you'd asked me two years ago if I'd been able to do that, I'd have done one of these to you. Um, so I, yeah, so I grew up numbing out on food, like a lot of us. You know, family life, coming home from school was pretty chaotic. So, and partly, I was a kid 
that I struggled in school, struggled a lot because who cares about homework? I was a kid that, you know, my mom and I talk about this, maybe should have been in gifted programs, maybe. Uh, I was bored in school, had some ADD, couldn't get work done, like had no follow through. So there was a lot of anxiety around me being smart enough to do, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I'd sandbag the aptitude test so nobody expected anything. But when you test really high on the aptitude test and you're coming in with like C's, it doesn't look so good, uh, or at least so they tell me, because uh, I couldn't be bothered to do homework and, and do the things. I thought I was special, like, oh, I don't have to do this stuff, right? And so that would, that would be the thing that would get me in trouble at home, like wouldn't do, home, like, wouldn't do homework, wouldn't, couldn't be bothered. Um, and it's funny because I have a kid who does his homework and then forgets to turn it in. <laughs> it's like, kid, you're doing that wrong. Like, <laughs> come on, man. Like, what? Anyway. Um, so I, all that to say, to give you a snapshot, like I'd get up, mom and make breakfast, go to school, have my hot lunch or whatever it was, and then come home and immediately put a frozen pizza in the oven or have hot dogs. Before dinner, 3 o'clock, having a full meal, and then we'd have dinner. Then ice cream. Like, and, and as I got older and more able to figure out food, I can look back and see how, you know, it would be the equivalent of watching a 10, 13, 15, 18-year-old sneaking shots of beers all day. Like, whatever it was. Like, I had to have something in my mouth 24-7. I just did. It's like a pass. The way I, what I realized is it's, it's like having a pacifier, right? Like I, because I couldn't feel anything. It wasn't safe to feel anything. It wasn't. I couldn't handle the emotions. So that progressed. And I found, you know, I kind of backed into this life where like it worked for a while. Like, you know, we, we talk about in our, with our addictions, it works until it stops working. And it kind of worked, right? I got... It, it kind of works. I could make it work. I could make my overeating work for me because I could still, you know, I, I fell into a career working on the Internet where you didn't need a lot of qualifications. It didn't matter that I had dropped out of college, um, dropped out, failed out of college, let's be clear. Um, because my third semester of college, you stopped going to class. Shocking, they give you Fs. Um, so... I stopped going and came down and thought I wanted to get into production, into like TV and movie production. And it turns out you had to have enough hustle to find a new job every few months. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bunch of BS. That didn't work for me because I had this crazy self-esteem like, oh, well, they're not going to hire me. And the funny thing is, like, I could look and think, I could think through the problem, right? Like, I could say, okay, well, this production's going to end soon. So I can look in the Hollywood Reporter and look at all, like, Here's my idea. I could look at every production and start cold calling everybody and see who might need a PA, right? And really put that work in. And maybe if I call 40 places, maybe I'll get one bite. Great, right? That's how to do it. I'm not doing that. I want somebody to give me a job. I'm not going to put the work in. My, I have this whole long history of not wanting to put work in. Like, things just need to happen for me. Um, and I would get... You know, it was this life ruled by fear. I was afraid to put myself out there. So I got out of college. I'm dating this girl for a few years. That doesn't work. That breaks up. And I spend what had to have been probably seven or eight years not dating anybody. I just was broken. I was too afraid to put myself out there. Ended up living by myself. 
and kept gaining weight, just kept getting bigger. And, the, and every year I'd think, okay, well, if I hit, you know, I was in high school and I would talk to my friends like, well, man, if I hit 200 pounds, then I would just have to either jump, throw myself in front of a bus or stop eating. When I hit 200 pounds, I'm like, well, if I hit 220 pounds, <laughs> throw myself, you know, suddenly it's like, man, I wish I could at least get back down to 250. Um, and it didn't happen. Now, I will say, you know, and we all know this, especially in this town, in this, you know, in our very, very, you know, there's a lot of superficial aspects to being in L.A. And look, like, big dudes get a pass, right? You can be a big dude and kind of get a pass. Uh, you know, you buy some nice Hawaiian shirts, which are real forgiving, we all, right? I hear all the dudes laughing. Like a Hawaiian shirt, you know, a Tommy Bahama cut is nice and boxy and still looks good. Um, and you can become that guy and still look kind of okay, or so I thought. And I got real good at, like, finding my pose for the pictures, for the camera, right? Um, I always, I would joke about how I would have the opposite of, I'd have the wrong style of body dysmorphic disorder, right? Like, oh, I think I look okay. And then I'd catch a picture of myself at a different angle and be like, oh, God, who's that, right? In fact, the sheet I'm hand, handing around with pictures, like, I had to really look through my pictures to find, like, oh, okay. Like, I ended up looking at other people's pictures on Facebook, because I wouldn't post the ones that I thought I looked bad. So I had to, like, search through for other people's photos. Um, you know, and you, you learn, like, one of my favorite poses, like, you do the three-quarter pose, you put your arm, like, here, right, like, going down in front of you, in front of the camera, because it, it hides this, um, right? People know what I'm talking about. Uh, but I could live with it. I wasn't a secret eater so much as, like, I would make plans to do big banquet-style dinners with friends so that I could, you know, be like, oh, we're going to go have a... It's like, I'm not going to drink by myself. I'm going to go out to the bar with a bunch of friends and make it a thing, and that's okay. Um, I spent a fair amount of time in my 20s drinking, but I, could, I can put that down. That's not an issue for me. It's the food. It's the food that I couldn't put away. But for a while, I managed as I was single. Like, I, I found this thing that, like... I had a job, I had a decent career, was doing okay. Sure, there'd be chaos around me, but I, I could just slip in and not make it worse. Like, I could just manage the line. Like, I could be obnoxious enough and cause enough chaos, but I was just good enough at my, work, at my job that I wouldn't get fired over. Like, I could just squeak by, and I managed just barely, but it would erode. And, and what really changed for me was eight years ago, I got engaged. And six years ago, got married. And between that point, my wife, my now wife and I move in together. And her then four-year-old son. And suddenly, there's people in my house. Right? Right. And we say that like it's funny, but it's like, it's, I mean, that's where it all started to fall apart. Right? I could go home. Do my thing. I mean, my apartment would go through various stages. And, you know, I had this great apartment on the west side. It was five or six blocks from where I worked. You know, for a while, like, I had this three-block commute to where I worked. I wouldn't go east of the 405. It was like, <laughs> life's good. And then I got another job that I had to drive to Beverly Hills. Like, eh, okay. But I had it good for a while. And I actually, there's a picture in there where I got down to 200 pounds because I was using bulimic exercise. I was working out a couple hours a day. Um, and like everything else, that fell apart. I was, part of that was on prescription amphetamines. 
So then I end up, you know, before I end up with my wife, this is about two years before I end up with her. can't believe I almost forgot to say this. Um, I go to, I go on a business trip and I'm having a consistent cough. And I come back and long story short, my pulmonologist says, something wrong with your lungs, but your heart's too big. Or I'm sorry, your heart's enlarged. Big heart, great. Enlarged heart, not so much. Um, Turns out I had, the coughing was what they call congestive heart failure. I had left ventricular hypertrophy, which is a stiffening of the muscle wall in the left ventricle. Uh, That's, the ventricle pumps the blood out. And they measure its efficiency by what they call the ejection fraction. How, and the typical is 55%, right? If, if it pulls, so if it pulls in, say, 100 cc's of blood, it pumps back out 55. I was down to 15% with what they call regurgitation, which means it basically stopped pumping, right? It just wasn't doing it. And the coughing is because the blood kind of pools in the lung capillaries, and your lungs think they're full of fluid. And so my doctor's like, okay, don't go out of town. I was like, well, I just got back from a trip to Fiji. Uh, he's like, yeah, you dodged a bullet there, buddy. So suddenly they tell you, okay, so you learn a bunch of things, right? Uh, you learn a word called significant adiposity, which means fat. Um, it's a nice technical term. Uh, when they say, oh, we had to do this particular procedure somewhere else because of adiposity. Uh, and I looked it up, I'm like, uh. They say, go over to... UCLA and talk about getting on the transplant list. And then the guys at the transplant, now at this point I am, you know, the weight that I'd all had lost has come back. So I'm at this point I'm about 250 pounds. And I go and and talk to a consultant at UCLA who's like, yeah, well, for heart transplants, we got to match you to somebody who has your body type. And you know what? 40 something dudes at 250 pounds, there's not a lot of hearts out there for transplant. So what do I do? I gain more weight. Um, now, I get on a medication regimen, and miraculously, it fixes it, right? It, it, my heart goes back to full function. Totally dodge a bullet. But does that make me lose weight? Hell no. Keep eating. Get back up. Um, so I get to a point where I get together with my wife, and they move in. And that's where things really start to erode, because now I've got people in my house that I have to deal with 24-7. And that's really tough. That's really tough. So uh, coupled with things, the job that I had at that point for about six years, somebody comes in that I just don't get along with. And, you know, I get to a point at work where I'm leaving the office and my garbage can at work is overflowing with food wrappers because I'm just constantly fighting with this person. Constantly, constantly. And in 2015, like I, I can see how things are going so sideways. And, and what really it was for me is, you know, I'm still eating. And I look, like I know that I'm heavy, right? But I'm doing stuff on camera. I'm doing stuff because you, like I fooled myself and have become enough of the charming, funny, fat guy that I can kind of get away with it, right? Kind of, or at least think that I can. And look, I'm married. I've got a wife who's willing to sleep with me. Okay, sure. Like I can, but but I can feel that it's it's I, I'm still falling apart. And what was the last rock bottom for me was that I started drinking 
Coke again. Now, I had stopped drinking Coke in my early 20s because I realized, like, for whatever reason, I was just having too much sugar. I, don't, I wasn't doing Diet Coke or anything. Like, I was like, yeah, you know, because in my teens and 20s, I was probably having six or seven Cokes a day. And somehow got to a point where I was like, yeah, that, that's not so good. So I stopped. And I have a sister who is, at this point, probably six years sober and have seen enough of, I mean, look, like you live in this town, you end up knowing people in various 12-step programs, and you kind of, even without being in one, you kind of glean certain things, right? So I started drinking Coca-Cola again, and that was like some little tiny bit of a higher power says, yo, man, that's not cool. Like, do you see what you're doing here? Because at that point, like, I might as well have been injecting heroin, right? So I, I have this moment where I'm like, oh, God, what am I doing? And so I, the other thing is there was, I was taking some classes and had run into this guy that I had known for 15 years, and I saw him over the series of classes that we ended up in together lose probably 50 or 60 pounds. And I finally cornered him. I was like, man, what are you doing? What's going on here? And he's like, you know, and he originally kind of did the thing that I would do when somebody first asked, like, oh, I'm just, you know, watch what I eat, blah, blah, blah. And he says, going to OA. And I was like, because I had gone to OA in my 20s at the meeting over on Robertson and went in there and heard people talking about God and, and saw a bunch of, like, older women in my 20s. I'm like, nope. Right? <laughs> So my first meeting, it took me, from my first meeting to my second meeting, probably close to 20 years. I had to still eat. And so then I come to a meeting in, uh, in Studio City. I go to, that, I, I go to those Studio City meetings. Um, my first meeting, I go into that one and sit through the whole meeting. And then go to McDonald's and get drive-thru uh, breakfast. Because love that McDonald's drive-thru breakfast. But that was it. Like, my disease is like, no, we're doing this. And at the time, I'm thinking, like, man, I can't believe I went to, thank you, uh, I can't believe I went to an OA meeting and went to McDonald's right afterwards. So go, but, but you know what? I'm going back to my second meeting the next day because I had talked to a person who, years ago, I'd had a friend who would, and my sister would talk about this, if you're really desperate, try a 30 and 30. And whatever 12-step you're, like, wherever your addiction is, try a 30 and 30. So it's like, okay, I'm going to just do that. Because it can't be any worse than what I'm going through. It can't be any worse. And so I go to a second one, and I hear someone talk about, maybe my second or third meeting, talking about at their first meeting, they go through their first meeting and then spend the rest of the day eating a two-pound bag of Kit Kats. I was like, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. And so... I keep, and so three or four days in, I get a sponsor who puts me on this meal program that is, he suggests one plate of food at each meal and a salad at lunchtime. He says, are you willing to have one plate of food for breakfast? Sure. Are you willing to have a piece of fruit before lunch? Okay. Are you willing to have a salad for lunch? Okay. Are you willing to have a piece of fruit after lunch before dinner? Sure. Are you willing to have only one plate of food for dinner? As opposed to me going, you know, go to Mexican and have chips and salsa and guacamole and an appetizer and my food and finish my kids and finish my wife and have dessert <laughs> and three or four margaritas and go home and have more chips and cheese and desserts and, right, five days worth of food at one meal. Okay, one plate. So call him the next day. He's like, did that work yesterday? Yeah, let's do it again. 
Two years later, same thing. Doing the same thing, one day at a time. My, my meal plan, now, things have come off the plate. It's gotten a little bit smaller. He asked me, would I put pizza on my red light foods list? Best I can do today is say, I'm not having pizza today. And I'm a guy who's cooked up two or three business trips to Chicago because I want a di- deep dish. <laughs> honest to God. I mean, I'm, like, that's not a, a, seriously, honest to God. I had a business trip in Chicago a few months ago, and the person who was organizing the trip put a group dinner together at Lou Malnati's, at the place, right, somebody knows, at the place that the whole trip was about, these previous trips. And I sat there and watched these eight pizzas go to everybody else and not have any. And it was amazing. It's like, and the, thing, and the miracle is, I kind of didn't even want any, right? It's like, oh, I have my terrible chicken sandwich that I've gotten without bread. And somebody's like, how's your chicken? I'm like, it's terrible, but it's fine. <laughs> So, all that to say the miracle is, you know, I, I've gone through, the, I'm, on my, I'm on my ninth step right now, and I've been dragging, and part of it is because, you know, there's a lot of people I still talk to, I'm seeing my dad today for the first time, I have not spoken to my father until Father's Day of this year, I hadn't spoken to my father for probably four years, at least, um, wouldn't respond to him, gave him the cold shoulder because I was, because I knew that it would hurt him because I was so mad about all of the stuff that I thought he did to me. That, if he, you know, and where I can say is, whether he did or not, doesn't matter. It's how I react to it. And so I'm seeing him after this meeting. We're going to have breakfast with him and his girlfriend that I've never met. And am I a little nervous about it? Sure. But I'm actually excited to see him. And that's the miracle. Now, what got me there was working the steps daily. I go to at least four meetings a week, at least. I started doing a 30 and 30 and still try and get as close to that. I've got a couple things that happen on Thursdays and Fridays that it makes it tough for me to get to meetings, but I go to the meetings in Studio City on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday mornings, and frequently a a Saturday morning meeting. I I do it because I need it. I have to. I talk to my sponsor every morning. I write every morning. I've now got five sponsees and one food sponsee and talk to them, you know, talk to three or four of them on the phone every day, but get texts from all of them every day. Um, I text, I take a picture and text my meals to three people every day. And and one of the, the other part of my absence is I do not decide what I eat. I have been fired from the committee that picks my food. Because I'm bad at it. I overdo it. Right? I'm like a, a, I would be like a procurement guy that's like, oh, we need cups? I'm buying the factory that makes cups. No, no, no. Yeah. Right? So what I, what I do is, you know, that anything I eat is either been previously approved, and I'll wrap up really quick, either been previously approved or in the moment, I will, you know, if we're out to eat, I will say to my wife, what on this menu can I have? I've given up that choice. And it's so freeing. And I just do that one day at a time and work every little bit of the tools one day at a time. And here I am with two years and I'm down 125 pounds. And the weight in my head is just been lifted so much. And it's this huge difference. And it's a miracle. So thank you very much.
This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Uh, when asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Uh, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Uh, yes, right there. Uh, yeah, so the question is, uh, can I explain the steps that I got from anger at my father to acceptance? Um, you know, when I did my inventory uh, and shared that with my sponsor, I acknowledged that I was specifically giving my father the silent treatment because I knew it hurt him. You know, my father had always said that the worst thing is being abandoned and left alone. And so I took that and I was like, oh, okay, we're going to do that. Uh, yeah. All right, here we go, payback. Um, and, and my sponsor says, wow. I was like, yeah, and I'm not ready to give that up. I'm not ready to stop doing that. I'm just not. I'm too mad. And, you know, and it's a thing that, that even outside of the program, I would tell my wife, like, yeah, I know I'm doing this, and I'm not ready to give it up. And I know it's, I know it's wrong. And as, as I've gone from sharing my inventory and making my list of amends. I mean, my father was on my, or he wasn't on my list. As I made my list of amends with my sponsor, he says, what about your father? I was like, not ready. He says, okay. My, my sponsor is firm but gentle. And he's like, okay, sure. And so he's given me the dignity to go through my list of amends. And as I've gone through it, you know, I went through my immediate family and the people close to me and myself, and as I went through that and started, I got to a point where I had been starting to slow down on people that I hadn't talked to in years, you know, people from college and people from, that I worked with 10 years ago, and part of it was like the shadow of my father. I was like, oh, God, I know that I'm going to have to do this, and I kept, part of it was just keep going to meetings, you know, keep going to meetings, keep writing, keep doing that self-examination and think about what I'm doing, and what, what made a difference is I got to a point where, it's like, where I started to think, I can't live the tenets of this program and still be actively doing that. I just can't. I see the hypocrisy there. It's not working. I'm carrying around this anger. And if I'm expressing this emotions and, and working my program to let my emotions go, I have to deal with this. I have to. And so I talked to my sister who has a lot of sobriety and it's in, in AA and she's a great one to talk to because I can get this kind of different take on the steps and she talked to me about she talked to me about how she did her ninth step with dad and the language that I can even call him dad like I walked around for a long time just calling him by his first name because I thought that would be disrespectful like I didn't want to acknowledge that bond and in the last couple of weeks I started saying dad again um, then I sat down with my mom and I told her I wanted to do this about a month ago I asked my mom Next time you're in town, I want to get to know the guy you married. I want to know who that guy was. You know, I had my own perception as a kid, like, who that father was. But I want to know who the guy was you married and what you know about him and what, what, who you fell in love with before I saw the guy that I had demonized. And so we had this two or three hours of her just talking about him. And that's, that was the last piece for me was being able to that was the piece and it was such a gift from her 
such a gift because that's what allowed me to see him as a person and see him as the second son of parents that always fawned over their golden boy and kind of ignored him and wouldn't even really acknowledge his ambition that was so burning all in a desperate attempt to get acknowledged by his parents. I just thought, it's like, oh, he's chasing money. No, that wasn't it. He was chasing that love and acceptance that he never had, that he didn't grow up with. And when I saw that, it was, it was, it was amazing. It was like, oh, God. And I suddenly had this feeling like, oh, my God, what have I been doing to him? Oh, my God. And I'm so grateful to be at a position where I can open that up. And, and again, like I said, I'm really excited to see him. I really am. You know, so I, I texted him on Father's Day, and he writes me back. And I get a phone call. Like, I, I didn't hear my phone ring, but I could hear the excitement in his voice. I can hear that. And look, my father has, has also picked up weed. Right? Okay, sure. Fine. Right? He's not working anymore. That drive, that ambition, that, 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 that thing that he's told him is his scoreboard for how good he is. He doesn't have any more. So he's got even more stuff to numb out the way I do and the way my sister does, and the way we all do, he's a guy who's in pain. He's a guy who, who is in desperate, desperate pain. And the dude's got enough money, he's probably never going to hit rock bottom. And that's okay. You know, he's probably never going to ask for forgiveness for the... You know, I spent a long time thinking, like, I want, him, I, I want him to feel sorry, then I'll forgive him. <laughs> Two years in, I understand, no. That he doesn't need to ask. It's okay. Because... I know what I've done to him. And so one of the things I'm going to say is like, you know what? Sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I, it, was, it was crappy. I'm sorry. And I appreciate you still being willing to talk to me. And I need to acknowledge your generosity and all of the opportunities you gave me over the years. So it's, it really is working the steps. And it really is using the tools to gain acceptance. Of who, I mean, I may not un- completely understand, but I can accept who he is, and that's that's what it is. So it's all it's those steps to to get to there. Yes. Thank you. Um, so for a guy that doesn't like to work, yes. The question is uh, for somebody who doesn't like to work. Can I talk about work life? Um, I have trouble with like the day-to-day drudgery um, and it's all drudgery uh, I have a career where I'm a journalist and in the entertainment space and it's the it's been this for a long time it's been this great combination of just enough routine that I feel comfortable but there's always something new to pay attention to because there's new movies every week there's new TV shows every week so it's this, it, you know, being a, a journalist in that space at a corporation has been 
the perfect combination of that. Um, but I have known that there are certain things like long-term projects, like stuff that requires, it, it's stalled my career, right? There's, there's, there's a level that I've been able to hit, but the bigger level that requires, you know, like in an, for instance, like in an executive level where you need to project an air of confidence and for whatever reason you start thinking big and say, okay, I'm going to try this whole new thing. You know, I, I have spent a lot of time trying to find managers and, you know, I do well if I have a manager that I can put in that parent space. Somebody who I feel like, okay, this is a person that's going to give me approval and give me acknowledgement and that will, I can shift a lot of responsibilities to. And in the program, I realized, oh, I don't exactly need that, right? I can, I can use the tools outside of work to kind of make that work. So I'm about to, I am two weeks out away from leaving the job that I've had for 10 years and going into a different position that is going to be, among other things, both covering entertainment and politics, um, which is going to be a barrel of laughs. And I'm actually really excited about it because it's, it's something that, you know, I I'm, don't want to bring in outside issues, but it's a reaction that I can do work that I believe in using the skills that I've learned doing something else. So it's... I am, I am leading my long-term career to make the change that I want to see in the world and put my money where my mouth is and do this professionally. And, what, and the way I got there was talking to somebody that I kind of tangentially worked with and convinced them that they need me. Convince them that, look, all of the stuff that I've done at this particular place, I can do here. I've, the job that I've had, we've been acquired by three or four different companies over the years. And it's been this, it's, been, it's a whole weird long story, but I've managed to stay at this relatively visible, high power position, kind of doing my own thing. And it's actually kind of worked. Um, no one is more surprised than I, uh, because I have that thing that I'm sure a lot of us have. People are like, oh, you're this guy, you do that. And any time I think somebody's going to come in and say, all right, Matt, the adults are taking over. You need to leave. And, and, and I had this moment of like, well, surprised I got away with it this long. Um, that's not the case. Uh, and so I talked these other guys into like, oh, yeah, you know what? We could use some of that over here. Okay. Now, granted, I've taken a bit of a pay cut to go over there, but that's okay. I'm super excited about this. So uh, the program teaches me a lot of it. One of the things I talk to my sponsees all, all the time is, what can we just do today? All I got to do is, like, no matter what happens, I just have to make it to bedtime today. That's it. So when it comes to work, like, oh, there's stuff I don't want to do today. Just do it today. Just do it today. Stay in the moment. Stay present. And it's fine. The other thing I remind myself is, like, doing the stuff you don't want to do, this does not mean you have to do this. for the re- You're not working in the salt mines for the rest of your life, right? It's going to take an hour. You'll be fine, right? I have to remember things are temporary. Things that make me uncomfortable, it's only a few minutes. It's going to be okay. Yes? Thank you. Can you talk about your relationship with your higher power? Yes. You want to know about my relationship with my higher power. Um, That's a thing that I wrestle with. Um, Thank you. That's a thing I wrestle with a lot. Um, 
you know, I was raised, uh, raised Catholic. Uh, haven't been in church in a long, long time. Um, I wrestle. I go back and forth. Like, is there something? Is there something not? Um, I have been praying for people I don't like in a work situation. I got that from a, a fellow. Uh, whether or not I believe, what, what I, on my days that I have these agnostic moments, I tell myself praying and giving things up to my higher power is a mantra that basically says, don't do anything about this thing that's bothering you. Just leave it alone. There's a thing. You don't have to try and fix it. Just let it go. It's a mantra for, for me, a lot of times it's another word, way of saying, let it go. Just, just let it go. And so when I pray for people I don't like, I pray for them to have, I have a list, I have a reminder for four people, pray for them to have contentment and security and fulfillment and joy and happiness and satisfaction and success. The things that I want for myself. And that humanizes them. Now, there are days that I'm like, uh, there's no God. I'm not praying to that. But I still do it. And I tell myself, I want these people to have this. So whatever's out there, I'm in, I am telling myself, that's what I want for them. So I have a sponsor, real quick, I have a sponsor who actually changed the time I talked to him because I was, I was he got a new sponsor who's real spiritual now. And so I would call him and suddenly the calls were all like, well, where's God in this? And let's talk about your spirituality. And, and I finally said, hey, can we reschedule our time so I don't have to get you right after you're praying? Like, I didn't say that part, but it was like, oh, enough already. It didn't actually work. Um, so I have these moments where like, I still wrestle with it, but I act as if, because why not? It still works. Um, I think we have time for one more. Yes. Especially considering your last answer, when you uh, step six and seven, when you, uh, who do you who do you ask or what do you ask to remove your defense? I I say the words. I say the words. I will ask. You know, I'll just pray to the God that you know. I will pray. I say, dear God. I just say God. It's the thing that I grew up with, going to a lot of mass. You know, I was, uh, yeah, for those of you who see me rolling my eyes, you know, in seventh grade, I was altar boy of the year. Um, before you, to be clear, before you had to do anything naughty to get that. Um, sorry, sorry, inappropriate, I know. Um, but I would, I, so I still say, God, please do this. God, please, and it's, and some days I believe, and some days it's that, it is an acknowledgement that I want that released. I want that to be taken away from me. And, and acknowledging that it, some days the higher power is the group. Sometimes it's the whole fellowship. Some days it's the people in the particular meeting I'm in. It, some days it's my sponsees collectively. It's, it's almost anything but me. Because from long experience, I'll screw it up. So I hope that helps. I think maybe one real quick. Yes. Yeah. So the question is, the weight's been coming off up here. Um, I used to have trouble going to sleep because my mind would race. And I just would think about everything that I needed to fix and address. I don't think about that anymore. Right? The, the way I talk about it is, and I say this in meetings all the time, the list of things that I don't have to fix and don't have to worry about gets longer and longer and longer and longer. And 
constantly I'm looking at something like, do I need to fix this? No. Okay, done. Good, right? Now, granted, that will dovetail with my sense of what you were talking about, like, oh, I don't want to work. Like, I have to be careful that it's like, oh, well, I don't want to deal with that, and I don't have to. It's, It's trying to find the right balance, but there is a fair amount, like, it is... I, I do have to be careful not to overdo it, but you know, if my wife is upset about something, I can now say to her, do you need me to do anything here? And if she says no, I can let her be in a snit. I can let her be upset and not tell her, I need you to be in a better mood because it's affecting me. Right? That's the way that I was walking around with. Everybody else had to be happy. Right? Now it's like, oh, you're unhappy? Sorry, bummer. And not in a not in a noxious way. Like, I'm sorry. Do you need anything from me? No. Okay. Cool. I'll give you a hug. That's it. Cool. So that's that's it. Um, so I think that's it. Yeah.